Thank you, Greg. Thank you, worship team. I would invite you to take your copy of the Lord's Word today and turn to Genesis 22. Genesis 22, verses 1 through 19 is where we're going to be. Also, I want to draw your attention to what's in your worship guide today. Inside there, you'll see a leaflet of notes in there of this morning's message of where we're going to be. Also, there is an envelope uh, with a place for a name and an amount and a date. And then there's also a commitment card. Um, most likely, you've already received this commitment card by mail or you've picked up one. Um, uh, some of you have already turned one in. Uh, but anyway, today at the end of the service will be a time of us bringing forward our commitment cards. And if this is something that uh, you've laid before the Lord and God is leading you, there's several things to a commitment to, to pray during this season that God continues to provide for this project that we believe he's led us to do. And then also a spot there to make a financial commitment to, for the mark of faith that, look, this is what we believe that God is leading us to do. Uh, my, my commitment card for my family is, is down there with Andrea, and we'll give ours here at the end of the service, and we'll have a time of bringing that forward. But this is what these are here for. You're like, Brother Matt, this is the first I've heard of this. Well, you know what? Take this home and pray over it and see how God would have you to give if God be leading you to do that, to be a part of this. But this is a journey that started for us in 2019 when we voted as a church, believing that God was leading us to make these significant changes here. And we have seen God provide and we have seen God bring our church together in such a special way. And uh, we would invite you to be a part. So we will do that later in the service, but just wanted you to know that that's what those things are. And at the end of the service, uh, we can bring forward those, and there's little slots where you can drop them in. You say, well, I've already turned mine in. You can just put your name on an envelope and just drop it in there. And if you've already turned in your commitment card, or if you still want to have something to bring forward but are not settled on what God has called you to or maybe leading you to give, you can, again, just bring a card forward if you want to be able to have something to bring forward. You just do as God leads. I want to invite you to take your copy of the Lord's Word again and turn to Genesis 22, verses 1 through 19, as we continue through the progression of the life of Abraham and talk about the kind of faith that we find in Genesis uh, chapter 22, verses 1 through 19, which is, it's all yours, God, faith. We've been all over the map with Abraham and his life, his highs, his lows, and we're going to talk about that in just a minute. But here, when we get to this place... Theologians of all stripes, Bible commentators of all stripes say that, do, that Genesis 22 is the high point, is the shining moment of Abraham's life and his walk of faith. And that's what we want to look at today. The main statement for today is this, is that Abraham demonstrates that God's promises are holding on to us more than we can ever hold on to them. Abraham demonstrates that God's promises are holding on to us more than we can ever hold on to them. And what we're going to see in Abraham's life is a posture of open hands. Lord, I'm yours. Wherever you lead, whatever you ask, Lord, I trust you. It is all yours, God. And we're going to see, frankly, a man at peace with God today. Where do you go when you try to find peace? 
Is there a place? Is there a hobby? For instance, is there something that you like to do when you like to settle your mind? Maybe it's go sit on the back porch in the evening, sit on the front porch in the morning. Maybe it's go to the lake and ride around in the water. Maybe it's going on a walk outside. Maybe it's driving on the Natchez Trace. Maybe it's playing a game. Maybe it's going to a special vacation spot you have. Maybe it's going and sharing a cup of coffee with a good friend. But it's that thing that you do when you're trying to calm the moment and just experience a moment of, you know what, life is okay. Um, When my life slowly started to unravel and having very difficult things happen in 2018 when our son died, Somebody actually taught me something uh, that actually helped me because I would start panicking. I'd never, I would have these panic outbreaks, and I'd never had that happen before. But when your son passes away, you kind of change a little bit. And I was talking with a physician, and he just said, you know, one of the things that's helped me the most is, is, is combat breathing. And I said, what in the world is combat breathing? And he said, combat breathing is something long-range riflemen do in the military settle themselves and calm themselves to lower their heart rate in order to improve their accuracy. And he said, I found that when I do it, he said, it helps calm me down. And combat breathing is this, is that you exhale all the air that you have in your lungs for five straight seconds. And then after doing that, you inhale for five straight seconds. And then after you inhale for five straight seconds, you hold it for five straight seconds. And then you let it all out. And you can feel it. When you do it, I mean, it's just like, oh, man. I can, let's, let's do it together. In fact, we'll do it. I didn't do this in the first service. But we're going to be chill today, all right? Ready? All right, so y'all get ready. Just be breathing. Make sure you got air in your lungs. And we're going to exhale for five seconds. Ready? Go. All right, now inhale for five seconds. Now hold it. Now let it go. Oh, I heard it. <laughs> and it's just like, oh, I'm just being, I'm being brought down a little bit. Well, anyway, it's worked for me, okay? And maybe it works for you, but you know what? I tried to have like this moment of peace with my family. Like sometimes I, I tend to be the romantic one, and I'm not talking about like um, romance between a man and a woman. I'm talking about romantic notions of what family should be like and stuff like that. We're in the middle of the mark of faith. We're talking about the tree. We talked about the tamarisk tree last week. It just made a lot of sense to plant some trees in the backyard this week. So I picked up some trees, and we went to plant them in the backyard. So I had this all built up in my mind. I'm going to bring these trees home. My loving wife is going to come out and be like, oh, this is so special. And this is awesome. We're going to plant these trees and our children one day and our grandchildren will play under these trees and we'll have pictures at Thanksgiving one day under these beautiful, these October glory maple trees that I've planted two of them in our backyard. I had it all built up and it was just, it was just going to be special. It's going to be beautiful. It's going to be glorious. And my children are going to help me plant them and then they're going to be able to tell their children and then their children after them. I helped dad plant those trees. I just had it all worked out in my mind. So I get in the backyard I start planting these trees. My oldest daughter helped me unload them, and then she had to go somewhere. And then um, I'm planting these trees with my three younger children. And, of course, they start fighting over the shovel. So I had to go get another shovel so we could all kind of participate. And then they start arguing who gets to hold the little shovel. 
And so then I'm trying to work all that out. And then they start shoveling dirt everywhere and stuff like that. And then Lucy accidentally takes the shovel and smacks her sister, not intentionally, smacks her sister in the face and cuts her forehead. And then all of a sudden, you know what happens. Stuff starts going everywhere. And then all of a sudden, I'm like, oh, my goodness. Andrea was not here. She had just left to go to take some friends a meal. And I'm sitting in the backyard. My child's bleeding now. And I'm supposed to have this romantic moment where all this is going on. And it's just not happening. And then so I scoop Ainsley up. And I tell the other two. And I just say, sit down. And they said, where? I said, right there. Right in. Sit down. Just, they just sat down in the yard. I called my other daughter out in the yard. Please watch them. I've got to go. And then I rush off to the doctor to figure out, does she need stitches? Turned out it wasn't as bad, and uh, it, everything was fine. But in the moment, it was just this panicked thing. And I had this all, like, this, this poetic, sweet moment that we were going to have as a family turned into something that nobody cared about but me. And then, and then on top of that, um, it ended up in a crash and burn of like somebody getting hit in the face with a shovel, and then we had to, it's, it's just, so I'll just say that, I told that in the early service, and a man came up to me afterwards, he said, brother, that sermon was for me, and I said, what, he said, when you told that story about the shovel, I was like, dear God, it's not just my family, and I was like, it is not just your family, crazy things seem to happen all the time, but when I read Abraham's life, I see in him in this story what I want to be. And that is a man with a posture of open hands towards God saying, Lord, all I have, everything I am, it's all yours. Let me read to you Genesis chapter 22 and verses 1 through 19. It says, after these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, here I am. And he said, take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering to tell on one of the mountains which I tell you. I'm going to pause here for just a second. The reason I hard time seeing this, these prescriptions are about eight years old. That's the other thing. After she got hit in the face with a shovel, I took my glasses off. And then when I got home, after taking her to the doctor, the dog had taken the glasses out into the yard and chewed them up. So, yay us. <laughs> Verse number three. So Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey, and took two of his young men with him and his son Isaac. And he cut the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the plates which God had told him. On the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place from afar. Then Abraham said to his young men, stay here with the donkey. I and the boy will go over there and worship and come back to you. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac, his son, and he took in his hand the fire and the knife. And so they went, both of them together. And Isaac said to his father, Abraham, my father, and he said, here I am, my son. He said, behold, the fire and the wood. But where is the lamb for an offering, burnt offering? Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. So they went, both of them together. When they came to the place which God had told them, Abraham built the altar there and laid the wood in order and bound Isaac, his son, and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. 
Then Abraham reached out his hand and took the knife to slaughter his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham, he said, and he said, here I am. He said, do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him. For I, now I know that you fear God, seeing you have not withheld your son, your only son from me. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called the name of that place, the Lord will provide, or Yahweh Yireh, or Jehovah Jireh. As it is said to this day, on the mount of the Lord, it shall be provided. And the angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time from heaven and said, by myself I have sworn, declares the Lord, because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you and I will surely multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and as the sand that is on the seashore and your offspring shall possess the gate of his enemies and in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. So Abraham returned to his young men and they arose and went together to Beersheba and Abraham lived at Beersheba. Abraham demonstrates that God's promises are holding onto us more than we can ever hold on to them. The first thing I want you to see as we continue in this story with Abraham's life is we have seen Abraham through his highs and his lows. We have seen the high point of Abram's following of God into an unknown place when in Genesis chapter 12 God says, get up and get out and go, and he does. High point. Major praise. Abram, you're doing everything you're supposed to be doing. God says go, and Abram goes. But then the next chapter, we have seen the low point of moving to Egypt without consulting God and deceiving Pharaoh. You remember that part. He didn't consult God. There was a famine. He goes to Egypt, and then he lies about the woman that he's married to being his sister. And he allows Sarah to be, go into Pharaoh's arms is his wife. It's a low point in Abraham's faith journey. But then there's the high point, another one right after that. We see a high point when Abram makes peace with his nephew Lot. Abraham being a very prosperous man and Lot being a prosperous man, and they were competing over resources. Abraham said, listen, peace with our family is more important to me than my stuff. I'm going to navigate and negotiate peace because we need to be right in God. So Abraham says to Lot, listen, you go left, I'll go right. You go right, I'll go left. And then peace is achieved because Abraham trusted in God with that moment of his life. And God blessed Abraham and prospered him because of that. Also, we see not just the high point of making peace with his nephew Lot, there followed another low point. A low point of abdicating his role as leader and not listening to God, but listening to his wife apart from listening to God when they decided to have a child through Hagar as opposed to getting antsy and waiting on, they got antsy and as opposed to waiting on God. They have a child through Hagar and all of a sudden a world of trouble, even though there's joy in every life that is born, this was not the plan that God had laid out for them. Nonetheless, they took things in their own hands and we see God's good hand even in things that are not his plan. We know he's sovereign even over our plans, and we see that. But 
We see this low point of him listening to Sarah and then it causing drama in his life, drama in his marriage, ultimately leading in what we looked at last year, the first divorce in the Bible. The first divorce in the Bible is when Abraham sends away Hagar. It's the exact language of divorce out of Deuteronomy 24, the send away. But we don't call Abraham the father of divorce. We call him the father of the faith. But we see this low point. Also, we've seen the high point of believing God's impossible sounding promise. That when Abram was 100 years old, Sarah was 90 years old, they believe that God is going to allow them to have a baby. And they do. And this is a high point for Abraham. And then last week we've seen Abraham plant the tamarisk tree, symbolizing grace and fruitfulness despite his troubles and failures. And the same story, part of the story, where he has deceived Abimelech. You remember that? where he has had to send away Hagar, which is the first divorce, where he's having to been separated from his son, which is Ishmael, without visitation. It's just a bad situation. Abraham plants a tree in Genesis 21:33 as a celebration of what God has done in his life. And that tree is the mark of faith. The mark of faith is not what Abraham does for God or what Matt and Andrea Powell do for God or do for God through this. No, no, the mark of faith is God's grace to us, and anything we do is just an expression of thanksgiving and belief of what he has done in us. We've seen Abraham through his highs and his lows, but then Genesis 22. Genesis 22 is where we are today. It's what I just read to you. And it doesn't matter if you're a Christian commentator or a Jewish commentator. Genesis 22 is the shining moment of Abraham's life. All of us, right, have a shining moment and a shining few moments in our life. Probably we won't recognize them until they're long in the rearview mirror, but we look back and go, wow, that was really God doing something special in my life right here. This moment in Abraham's life is the pinnacle. It is the high point of his walk with God. There's so much we see that we see Abraham demonstrate a faith with outstretched hands. It's all yours, God. Even the things I love most and hold on to the tightest. God, it's all yours. This is what we see today. First of all, I want you to look at this. Abraham's heart towards God in this story is available. Look down in verse number 1 of chapter 22. Verse 1, it says, After these things God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, Here I am. Abraham is at this point in this journey with his walk with God where God speaks and Abraham responds. Abraham's heart towards God is available. He's sitting on go, so to speak. That he's followed God and he's trusted God and God reaches out and calls to Abraham and God, Abraham says, yes, sir, I'm listening. I'm listening. And this, it's all yours, God, faith, what we see is a demonstration of availability here that God is able to speak to Abraham and Abraham listen. May that be true in my life and yours. That if God were to speak to us today, would we, would we hear, would we even be listening? That we'd be like Abraham in this sense that there is an availability. But not only that, Abraham's obedience is astounding. It's astounding. Look at verse 2 and 3. Notice what it says. Take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains, which I shall tell you. And then Abraham gets up and goes. 
No hesitation. No, whoa, 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 whoa. God, let's make sure we're on the same page here. You're asking me to, like, kill my kid. You're asking me to offer him as a burnt sacrifice. Like, let's just talk about this. Maybe I should tell his mama about it first and see what she says. Hey, honey, I was just in the prayer closet, and I feel like God told me to kill our son. So what do you think about that? Like, that is, that is not what we see in this story. God says, Abraham, Abraham says, yes, sir. And he says, you go. And Abraham said, I'm packing right now. That kind of obedience is astounding. And we'll get to it in just a second of why is he so obedient for such a difficult thing to think about? Well, because another thing, Abraham's maturity is real. Abraham hasn't always been this guy. When God has communicated the plan of, Abraham, this is what's going to happen Abraham's not always been the guy to say, yes, sir, God, whatever you say, it's all yours, God. Abraham's not always been that guy because remember this one in Genesis chapter, I believe, 17. This is when God told Abraham that he was going to have a son, Isaac. And listen to what Abraham says. Abraham fell on his face and laughed and said to himself, shall a child be born to a man who is 100 years old? Shall Sarah, who is 90 years old, bear a child? And Abraham said to God, oh, that Ishmael might live before you. Interesting. And what does the scripture say? God said, no, but Sarah, your wife, shall bear you a son, and you should call his name Isaac, and I will establish my covenant with him as an everlasting covenant for his offspring after him. It's interesting. God shows up and says, Abraham, listen, I know you're an old man, and I know your wife is an older woman, but you all are going to conceive. You're going to have a child, and you're going to name him Isaac. He laughs about it. And then he says, well, what, what's wrong with Ishmael? Like, you know, he's a teenager. He's really good with the bow, and I like him. He looks just like me. Like, he laughs at my jokes. Like, we have this great relationship. Like, what, what about Ishmael? God, you don't have to trouble yourself and give us another kid. I mean, look at us. We're, we should be grandparents. We don't need to be raising children. No. God says no. But now here's what I want you to see. Compare and contrast Genesis 22 to Genesis 17. Genesis 22, Abraham, you're going to have a son, and it's going to be Isaac. Abraham says, well, what about Ishmael? Genesis 22, take your son, your only son whom you love, and offer him as a burnt offering. And Abraham gets up and packs his bags and goes. What is that? We're seeing a maturing of Abraham's faith. Yeah, he's the same man he was in Genesis 17, but he's not the same man. Don't you get it? Yeah, we're the same man that we were, the same woman that we were, that we were 10 years ago. But by God's grace, we're not the same person that we were. Because God is making us more like himself. And when we look at Abraham's maturity level... When he was told Isaac was being born, he's like, yeah, but God, what about doing it this way? But when Isaac is to be offered as a sacrifice, Abraham says, I'm on my way. God, I'm going to do everything that you tell me to do. Abraham's maturity is real. Also, Abraham's faith is great. I absolutely love this. This is so astounding to me that God tells Abraham to go and offer Isaac as a burnt offering. But then listen to what Abraham says. In verse number five, then Abraham said to his young men, stay here with the donkey. I and the boy will go over there and worship and come again to you. Now, the language is such that Abraham is saying this. 
listen, me and Ike here, we're going to go over the hill, and we're going to worship. And then when we get done worshiping over there, me and my boy, we're coming back to you guys, so you all stay here. Wait a second. Abraham, I thought you said God wanted you to kill him and offer him as a burnt sacrifice. Oh, yeah, that's definitely what God said. Well, why are you saying that you and Isaac are coming back if you're supposed to kill him over there on that mountain? The answer to that, and we'll talk more about it in a minute, Abraham would say, because that's not the only thing that God has told me. Abraham is demonstrating great faith. I love this one. Look at verse number 8. Verse number 8, Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for burnt offering. This is when Isaac is looking around. He's like, Dad, I'm I'm really looking forward to the worship service, but I don't really see a sacrifice. And notice Abraham doesn't say, well, boy, it's because it's you. (laughs) He doesn't say that. Notice what he says. Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering. God will provide himself for a lamb for a burnt offering, my son. So they went, both of them, together. Wait a second. How can Abraham believe God that God wants him to sacrifice Isaac and at the same time be so dogmatically persuaded that he and the boy are coming back from the worship service after the sacrifice has taken place and that even though they don't have a sacrifice and that he is supposed to kill Isaac, that he can tell Isaac, don't worry, God's going to provide a lamb. How can Abraham have so much faith Because Abraham's not just holding on to one statement from God, he's holding on to all of the statements from God. And faith builds upon faith. Abraham's heart towards God is available. Abraham's obedience is astounding. His maturity is real. His faith is great, but his faith is not blind. You know, this is what Christianity gets criticized for more than anything else. Well, it's just blind faith just the opiate of the masses that's what it is that's what all religion is really it's just people that want things to be better so they just come up with these amazing ideas and come up with these stories little feel-good things and they just they're not basing it on any kind of reason or anything like that they just want it so they believe it it's just blind faith that's what it is folks biblical faith is never blind faith biblical faith is not optimism I know some of us are optimists, some of us are pessimists, some of us like call themselves, oh, I'm just a realist. Just go ahead and come out with it. You're a pessimist. But, um, but anyway, an optimist tends to see things better. Pessimist tends to see things worse. And some of us have this idea that faith is that. It's just optimism. It's just believing that this invisible God is somehow going to be with you and make things better. And that's what Christianity is, a God that you can't see This father up in the sky somewhere is somehow worthy of your faith and belief. That is not biblical faith. Biblical faith is not blind. Biblical faith is faith resting on reason. There were good reasons Abraham had to believe 
that he should take his son and offer him as a sacrifice. A couple of things. Faith is not wishful, but it's a belief which acts. Hebrews 11, which is called the chapter of faith, Hebrews 11 verses 1 and 2 says this, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. For by it the people of old received their commendation. Here's what I want you to see. Faith is not just belief. It's not just wishful thinking. Faith is not just optimistically assuming things will get better. Faith is a belief leading to action that is based on reason. This is biblical faith. It's something that you believe in here that causes you to act out here that is based on something reasonable that you can put your confidence in. It's not, hey, just trust me. I'm not giving you a reason. The chapter of faith, Hebrews 11, is filled with reason after reason of why people believed and acted on what they believed. You see, the hope of the Bible is not concerned, it's convinced. When we use the word hope today, it's a concerned kind of hope. Like, gosh, I sure hope Tennessee wins next week. That's a concerned hope, all right, of mine. Or, you know what, you know, I hope the stock market gets a little bit better. Or, you know what, I, I hope my house sells. Or, I, you know what, I hope I get this job or that job or you know, I, I hope he returns my call and I can go on a date with him or she returns my call. I hope, I hope, uh, like, maybe, right? But that's not biblical hope. Biblical hope is not wishful. It's not wrapped up in concerned. Biblical hope is resting on being convinced. Biblical hope is looking at what God has done and it's saying, I just killed a wasp. All right. It was going to jump up and get me. All right, so listen. Y'all don't believe me. There's the evidence right there. Okay, but sorry, where was I? Biblical, biblical faith is not resting on being concerned. It's resting on being convinced. It's looking on what God has done, and it's saying, because you've been faithful here, I can trust you to be faithful there, so I'm going to now step in action and go forward in faith. Which brings me to the next thing, which Miss Carolyn Lee, one of our dear sister saints who's now homebound. But she told me a few weeks ago when we were talking about the mark of faith, she said, Matt, don't you forget. And you tell the folks, faith builds on faith. See, promises hoped for rest on promises fulfilled. I want to teach you how to read Hebrews 11. Let's put it here on the screen. Notice, this is not blind faith. Hebrews 11, verses 8 through 19, it says this. By faith, Abraham, okay? Abraham had faith, obeyed when he was called out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. So did he just act? He was just like, you know what? The real estate's good down there in western Mesopotamia, and you know what? I, I feel like that it'd be a good thing if I just went down there. It's not wrong to do things like that. But that's not why Abraham went as an old man. Abraham went as a 75-year-old man because he, God spoke to him. Okay, so now 
Abraham's reason for going is because he believes that this God that he cannot see has now spoken to him. But let's keep going. And he went out not knowing where he was going. By faith, he went to live in a land of promises in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. Now here's this. Here's the other one. This is Sarah. Notice we faith and you get to hear the reason. By faith, Sarah, she internally believed and acted. Herself received power to conceive when she was past the age. She was 90 years old and she had to come to the point of like, okay, we're going to have to like make a baby. All right, we're going to do that. And God, you're going to somehow bless it. But notice, even when she was past the age, since she considered him faithful who had promised. Notice, this faith is not based on nothing. It's not blind faith. It's not flying blind. When Sarah hears, you're going to have a baby, ma'am, she is now resting the confidence that she is going to have a baby at 90 on her reason that this is the same God which called them and has led them faithfully into the Canaan land, and the God who was faithful there will now be faithful here. In fact, another translation says, since she reasoned him faithful, who had promised. It's built on faith. Faith is not blind. It's looking at what God has done and saying, wow, he was faithful there. He's going to be faithful here. Therefore, from one man, him as good as dead. Got to love that. But we're born descendants, as many as the stars of heaven, as many as the innumerable grains of sand by the seashore. These all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar, having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. For people who speak thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. If they'd been thinking of that land which they had gone out, they would have opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country that is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he's prepared for them a city. Now, here's our story for today. By faith, Abraham, faith is that internal feeling, that internal conviction, I believe, when he was tested, offered up Isaac, and he, see how all this fits together? Faith moves from faith. He who had received the promises was in the act of offering up his only son of whom it was said, through Isaac your offspring shall be named. For he considered, another translation, he reasoned. Faith is built on reason. He reasoned that God was able even to raise him from the dead, which figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. Do you see how this works? Why is it that Abraham is able to go to Mount Moriah and say, son, God's going to provide a lamb? Because even though God said go to Mount Moriah, God also had told Abraham, through Isaac, your offspring's going to be named. God also told Abraham, your descendants are going to outnumber the stars of the sky and the sands of the seashore. And Abraham knows that faith moves from faith, that if I can trust God to bring me to this unknown land, if I can trust God to settle peace with my nephew, if I can trust God, think about this. It's easy to trust God with the life of your baby son, Isaac, when you know the only reason you have that baby son is because God did a miracle in the first place. 
If Abraham were here, he would say, listen, the only reason I had Isaac was because God gave him to me. So if God wants him back, I can trust God with that because God gave him to me in the first place. And Hebrews says, because he reasoned, even if I bring down the knife, God can raise him from the dead. Why? Because he's looking at how God is blessed in the past. And he's allowing that to inform how he's going to trust God in the future. Friends, the safest place to entrust your blessings is to a God who gave them to you. Closing point here, I wish I had more time because it's such a beautiful passage. But God's promises and provision are always greater than our current situation. And God's blessing to you is always bigger than just blessing you. Verse 14, this becomes the place where God gets a new name. Yahweh Yireh, or Jehovah Jireh, which means God will provide. And this is the exact place where Jesus is going to be crucified for our sins and the exact place on Mount Moriah where he is going to be buried and three days later he's going to get up out of the grave as a testimony that he is God and everything he said is true. So, we come now to this journey in the mark of faith. Let me just walk with you how I've been processing this. So for like for us, we all have our own place in life and how God has blessed us and led us and stuff like that. At this stage of life, my wife and I don't really sit on assets. Uh, we're, we're raising a family, stuff like that. So when, when we give, we give out of income. That's what we did the first time. And this is what we'll be doing this time as well. And so the conversation that I've been having with the Lord has been, uh, well, Lord, you know, I've got, I've got all these reasons in my head. I've got a girl that will be starting college in a year and a half. Um, I've got um, a girl that will be needing another vehicle here. Or an, an, I've got a new driver. I've got a 13 and a half year old. She'll be 16. I've got all these things swirling around. I've got other financial responsibilities I've got in my head. And I'm trying to think, okay, God, how am I going to, how am I going to make this fit? And it was in this process of having this conversation with God and reading Abraham's story, I had to go back to the harvest in 2019 where I was not able to make that fit either. And I just said, okay, Lord, I'm trusting you. And here's the thing. God was able to faithfully demonstrate to us and provide for us in order for us to meet that first fulfillment. And I'm looking at that and saying, God, you know what? You help me do that. You know what, God? You can help me do what you're leading me to do now. But even bigger than that is this. Let me tell you why I have no hesitation being a part of the mark of faith. This is my reason, okay? Mowed my next door neighbor's yard. Don't think, well, you're such a kind person bragging about that. Jesus just said you lost your reward. I, no, like, he, he edges my yard. I mow his grass. It's a good relationship we have. He's a great guy. Um, but last, about a week and a half ago, um, I mowed his yard, and I noticed something different. There were leaves in the yard, autumn leaves. And I'm like, oh. It's about to get cool in Mississippi. And that's a big deal, right? Because we live in the never endless summer. 
it's like it can get hot here and humid and I was like oh, I thought about you know what it's time to pull the long sleeves out started fantasizing about wearing a jacket all of these kinds of things and the next day it was like 102 degrees but let me tell you what I didn't do after seeing those leaves, and then it was 102 degrees the next day, I didn't run to the store and, well, better buy a bunch of new shorts now. It's going to be hot forever. Oh, no, 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 no. Actually went to something later that night, and I saw Walker Powell. Walker had on a flannel, and I was like, my guy. This man understands. You don't know why? Because once you see those leaves drop, they will not stop. And this will be my 39th fall to live through. And they never don't come. There has been something. The leaves have dropped in history. And the leaves have dropped in history in such a way that when Jesus got up out of the grave, that never-ending heat of Mississippi summer began to lose its power. And I don't know how long it's going to be. There may be setbacks and scorchers here or there. But eventually, the leaves are all going to fall. And it's going to be pleasant here again. My reason for being a part of the mark of faith is because Jesus really did get up out of that grave. And he's coming again. His kingdom is real. And so ultimately, this right here, not a building, but his kingdom and what he's doing on this earth is all that matters. This is why Abraham said, God, it's all yours. So I'm going to ask you to do something with me. I'm going to ask you to, by faith, which isn't leading to an action, to take your card. And there are two slots here. You can drop it in the box. This is actually a blank. My card is actually down here with my wife. I'm going to walk down here, and then we're going to walk forward, and we're going to drop it in together. But and um, Luke and uh, the singers are going to sing. And during this time, if this is something you've prayed over and God would have you to be a part, would you come and drop your commitment card here in this box and you just return back to your seat? We'll all be standing as they sing for us today. Let me pray for us and then we'll stand. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for all that you've done. Lord, I thank you so much for all that you're going to do. And Lord, we are not flying blind here at First Baptist Church. We've already seen what you've done in the harvest. We've already seen what you've done, more importantly, in the life of Jesus and Abraham and all of it. There is good reason for us to believe that the faithfulness you showed to them and to us, you will show all over again. So, Lord, receive our offering of faith today because you've been so gracious to us. Will you bless this time of commitment? Lord, whatever you're doing in our church, we know it'll be good. Will you take this and use it? It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen and amen.